If you've listened to this podcast for any period of time, then you know that I absolutely love spooky season, horror stories, things that go bump in the night, and all things Halloween. For the past two years, I've shared listener ghost and paranormal stories for my special spooky Halloween episode. And this year, I'm changing things up a bit. If you know me, you also know that I love history and uncovering the origins of traditions and practices. Welcome to episode 116 of This Shit Works, a podcast dedicated to all things networking, relationship building, and business development. I'm your host, Julie Brown, professional speaker, author, and networking coach. And today, I am digging into the history of Halloween. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. Last month at the monthly neighborhood solo stove cocktail and dinner party. This is a tradition that started in the beginning of COVID as a way for us all to stay connected and spend time together. We all bought solo stoves because we were all doing the shit outside. We talk about a lot of things at these gatherings. And yes, we even have traded a ghost story or two. If you can believe it, my neighbor's eight-year-old daughter, Ellie, has a knack for coming up with scary stories. That girl could spin a fucking weird yarn of horror stories together with almost no prep. It's like she's the next Stephen King or something. One of our neighborhood crew is from Australia, and she and her husband and kids are moving back to Australia for a couple years to spend time with her family. As we were talking about the differences between living in Australia and the United States, she mentioned that what she is really going to miss is Halloween. Wait, what? I said, you don't celebrate Halloween in Australia? I guess, with October being their springtime, Halloween isn't really a thing for them. Her family in Australia actually thinks it's weird that here in America, her kids dress up and then walk around the neighborhood begging for candy. A little side note here. I love Halloween so much that we are the house that gives out the full-size candy bars. Not bragging or anything, but we're kind of a big deal in the neighborhood. At least on that night. (laughs) Anyway, that conversation got me thinking about Halloween and why some countries celebrate Halloween and some don't. So I did a little bit of research, and I thought I would share some of its origin stories with you. Halloween traditions in the West date back thousands of years to the festival of Samhain, the Celtic New Year's festival. The name means summer's end, and the festival marked the close of the harvest season and then the coming of winter. The Celts believed that the veil between the worlds of the living and the dead were thinnest at this time, and so the dead could return and walk where they had before. Further, those who had died in the past year and who, for one reason or another, had not yet moved on, would do so at this time, but could interact with the living. People would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off the ghosts that were walking among the living. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a time to honor all saints. Soon, All Saints Day incorporated some of the traditions of Samhain. By 43 AD, the Romans had conquered most of the Celtic territory and brought their own fall festivals with them. 
Their October celebration called Feralia also commemorated the passing of the dead. Another holiday, Pomona, honored the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. This could be one reason people often bob for apples during Halloween festivities. So, how do we get from religious festivals to dressing up as Buzz Lightyear and begging for candy? Well, it began when many people were said to dress up as saints and recite songs or verses door-to-door. Children would also go door-to-door asking for soul cakes, a treat similar to biscuits. Technical note, soul cakes originated as part of the All Souls Day holiday on November 2nd. Yes, a third holiday for the Halloween. (laughs) But eventually, that all became part of Halloween night as the concept evolved into trick-or-treating. The candy-grabbing concept also became mainstream in the United States in the early to mid-1900s, during which families would provide treats to children in hopes that they would be immune to any holiday pranks that the little fuckers might pull on them. As for the costumes, they evolved too. While they began as earnest tributes to the saints on All Saints Day, that tradition fell out of favor at some point. And then young Scottish and Irish pranksters got the idea to dress up in scary-looking garb as a way to spook unsuspecting neighbors. And just like that, thanks to local hooligans, Halloween costumes became scary, spooky, funny, creative, all of the above. Now, there are lots of other things that we associate with Halloween that we can trace back to Celtic rituals, like bats. The Druids saw one bonfires attracted bugs, which in turn tempted bats to come out and enjoy a tasty little night meal. In later years, various folklore emerged citing bats as harbingers of death or doom. In Nova Scotian mythology, a bat settling in a house means the man in the family will die. If it flies around and tries to escape, a woman in the family will perish instead. Listen, I for one love bats. They eat up all the nasty critters at night. During our monthly solo stove gatherings, I love to look up in the sky and see the bats zooming all around. I'm cool with bats as long as they stay out of my house. Now, what's more quintessential Halloween than jack-o'-lanterns? Well, that traces its roots back to the Celtic times as well. Back when waves of Irish immigrants left their country during the potato famine. The newcomers brought their own superstitions and customs to their new homes here in the United States, including jack-o'-lanterns. But back then, they carved them out of turnips, potatoes, and beets instead of pumpkins. I, I'm glad that we do pumpkins and not potatoes and turnips and beets, just saying. So, Although it's derived from ancient festivals and religious rituals, Halloween is still widely celebrated today in a number of countries around the globe. Countries such as Ireland, Canada, and the United States. But not every country has adopted Halloween. In mainland China, the Middle East, most of Africa, the Caribbean, Russia, and, like I mentioned at the top of this episode, Australia. It's generally just ignored. Now, Halloween doesn't hold a candle, in my opinion, to El Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. A colorful fusion of traditional indigenous customs and European traditions to Dia de los Muertos is a two-day celebration of ancestors and deceased. A tradition that honestly deserves its own episodes. I'm not going to cover it 
too much in particular in this episode other than to say that it is a way to honor the dead. Mary J. Andrade, a journalist and author of eight books about the Day of the Dead, says people are really dead when you forget about them. And if you think about them, then they are alive in your mind, they are alive in your heart. As someone who has experienced a tremendous amount of loss in the past year and a half, I love the tradition of the Day of the Dead and remembering those we lost. Claudio Lomnitz, an anthropologist at Columbia University and author of Death and the Idea of Mexico, says that one reason why more and more people are taking part in Dia de los Muertos celebrations now is that the holiday addresses a reality that is really acknowledged by modern cultures. The reality is our own mortality. So, interesting. Anyways, I just love Halloween, and I love sharing the histories of it with you. No episode would be complete without a drink of the week, and this drink of the week comes from a super fun cocktail book that was actually suggested to me by a previous guest, Ange de la Mer, who was on way back at the beginning of this podcast talking about intuition. The book is called Tarot of Cocktails, 45 Divine Drink Recipes. And the first drink, right out the gate, first drink is blood and smoke. Yes, sounds perfect for Halloween. Here's what you're going to need. One and a half ounces of mezcal, one ounce of blood orange juice, a half ounce of dry vermouth, and a half ounce of maraschino liquor. What you're going to do is you're going to shake everything together in a shaker with ice until chilled, and then you're going to strain into a coupe glass. Now, I was watching a program the other day, and the guy pronounced it a coupe glass. If any of you know if it's coupe or coupe, let me know. I'm just going to call it a coupe glass. What you're going to do is pour it into that glass and then garnish with a twist of blood orange. So fun. All right, friends. If you want more Julie Brown, you can connect with me on LinkedIn at JulieBrownBD. Just mention where you found me. You can follow me on Insta at JulieBrown underscore BD, or you can contact me via the Work With Me page on my website, JulieBrownBD.com. As always, if you liked what you heard today, please leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. Also, please remember to share the podcast with your friends to help it reach a larger audience. Until next week, cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works.